MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, May 12th, 2020. Today, multiple current and former federal prosecutors speak out against the Flynn filing from the Department of Justice. More White House staffers self-quarantine. Trump's administration cuts funding for coronavirus researchers. Warren and Harris are early favorites for the VP pick of Biden. A new study offers a more complete picture now of the virus impact on children. And political divides are driving the dispute over state aid. I'm your host, A.G., and joining me today is Jordan Coburn. Hello. Hello, Yish. How are you? Yish. I'm great. I'm coming <laughs> to you from my new living room. Woohoo! Is it very exciting? I saw the photo you sent. I like your ceiling with those like beams that I saw. Yeah. Yeah, it's like one of the, it's in North Park, so it's one of those kind of old architecture, well, old for San Diego at least. Um homes that has these like beams and it's they're like little standalone kind of one bedroom places very cool yeah it's super cute is it in a group of other standalones or like it is yeah there's like a horseshoe of homes <gasps> basically there's like eight or so awesome is it on is it the one well we won't do addresses on the air um <laughs> yes yeah, so let me tell you exactly where it is and what my, my keyless um, entry pad code is as well <laughs> and here's my social security number my favorite color is blue um yeah, no, those are awesome because I know that um, some of my friends who live in one uh, actually at, at night sometimes or they have like these weekly like sort of social things where they, everyone just sits on their front porch and they're all pretty close though. So but they're still more than six feet away and everyone just sort of hangs out and like has drinks and, you know, chats it up for like an hour a week, like a little social hour. I love that. Yeah, that's so fun. I think most of these are Airbnbs that the landlord is just like converting sort of one by one into long term rental spots, mm-hmm. at least until this whole thing is, you know, kind of blowing over. So, so I, right now it's like, I think there's only a few of us in the complex actually, but I love that idea. That's so fun. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Um, just little social hours so you can feel, you know, just feel like you're going out, even though you're not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and before we get into hot notes, something happened with your car battery? Ugh, yes. I just thought it's it's just, I, I find joy in, in telling the ridiculous saga of things that happen sometimes. Very similar to that one time where the rocks were thrown at my windshield and then my car got towed the next day. <laughs> it's very similar in vibes. I was going to say, they always involve your car. <laughs> yes, they do. They really do. But yeah, yesterday when I was moving, uh, I go to start my car and it's dead because I'm a freaking idiot and left the headlights, the hazards on. So... Like, all night. So my car doesn't start. I call, uh, thank you, Geico. They come out, and they jump my car, and the guy looks under my hood, and he's like, yeah, your your battery's fucked. Like, you can start this this one time, pretty much, but that's gonna be it. You're, like, not gonna be able to start your car again. And literally, as my hood is popped, and he's talking to me, I get a phone call from the movers, like, all right, we're on our way. And I'm just like, okay, I have no clue what I'm supposed to do here. So I'm, like, trying to call (laughs) companies to see if I could drop my car off, and 
I called this one guy and he was like, yeah, I mean, you could drop your car off here, but the thing is I'm trying to surf at 3.30, so if you can be done in like an hour, I'm like, all right, well, I'm not going to be done moving in an hour, so. Like a mechanic? Yes. <laughs> yeah, he was a surfer mechanic, bro. <laughs> Dude, Geico and, and Geico and Roadside Rescue should be able to sell you a battery mobily. Yes, apparently at that point it was too late, is what the Geico person said. They're like, we can send, we can try to see if someone can come out with, with a battery, but at this point it's probably too late in the day. But mm. yeah, but I don't, I, it was, it was a whole fucking thing, but everything's great now. I went to this local spot in North Park and they fixed me up. Tao Auto Care, I think it's called, T H A O Auto Care yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. And now I'm all set, but. Just a funny, of course, that I brought on myself, leaving my fucking hazards on. You should uh, check out AAA. Oh, yeah? Are they better than Geico? Oh, they're amazing. And and they come out and fix everything and bring everything and do everything all the time, 24 hours a day. So And you get hotel oh, discounts nice. and, and all sorts of discounts on, on things as well. I, and you can do all your DMV shit at the AAA. Maybe not right now, but... Like you can renew your registration at the AAA offices in Mission Valley, so you don't have to go to the DMV. You can get a, renew your driver's license. You can get new tags. Like you could do it like in their little offices. You don't have to go to the friggin' DMV, which takes ten hours. So I really like them, but they're not cool. a sponsor, so I'm not going to talk about them anymore. <laughs> anyway. If yes. you work at AAA and you want to send us money, uh, <laughs> we're at PO Box. No, uh, just kidding. Um, Anyway, we do have a lot of news to get to, so let's uh, let's jump in with that and hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, Jordan, what uh, what sort of news stories do you have for us today? Uh, yeah, I have just a few. So first thing that I'm going to be covering is just kind of the, the fight that is happening right now in Congress sur- surrounding this new relief package. And basically what's happening is, despite the fact that there's bipartisan efforts you know with with some folks trying to administer the aid that makes the most sense republicans are a lot of republicans are really digging their heels in saying that they shouldn't have to give a bunch of money to blue states that have a history of mismanagement of fiscal mismanagement they're calling it and this is just like another step up in you know their continued a continued step one of those steps at the airport that takes you places when you do nothing a continued step of <laughs> annoying uh politiza- politicization but what yeah what yeah what, what word am it. i trying to say thank you it's the it's the it's the moving sidewalk of politicization exactly it just goes on with almost little to no effort it seems it's just inherently in their bones and it's all joking aside it's just it's really shitty because they're they're trying to say that blue states don't deserve the money because the reason why they're struggling essentially like is because we mismanage our money and Mitt Romney actually there was there's a picture of him walking out of one of these Republican party meetings to talk about what to do about the calls for more money and and the new relief package and he had a huge placard that says blue states aren't the only ones who are screwed two days later then you had Rick Scott from Florida senator uh, he says the exact opposite. He's like, the people that are, you know, 
we're doing great in Florida. The people that are screwed are California, Illinois, New York. Those are Democrats, and the reason they're screwed is because they suck at managing their budget. So so I, I feel like most Republicans <laughs> feel like Rick Scott right now. We had a budget surplus. We have... Okay. Mm, yeah. Well, what they're... They don't want the money to be thrown into social safety net programs and handouts, as Trump has called them and Republicans call them constantly. and And so... You know, it's it's just very then then put then put stipulations on it. Put stipulations on it for what it can be spent on. It can be spent on testing. It can be spent on COVID response. It can be spent on tracing. You don't have to just not send the fucking money. Fucking assholes. Right. They just they just. Right. It, this is totally. It's so obvious what this is. Yeah, I feel the same way. I also just find it to be irrespective of whatever party you're in. It's just pretty disgusting to call states irresponsible fiscally and try to say that that should have any bearing on the help people are getting that are just straight up like struggling like you're the federal government if there's a state let's say california does suck just for the sake of argument let's say california fucking sucks and their people are suffering the fact that you don't see that as a federal government one of the powers you have is to like step in and help those people and not completely abandon them is just very gross to me we yeah we don't even have to use a hypothetical if, like to say if california was sucked look at puerto rico mm-hmm. you know that's a perfect example i know they're not a state they're a territory but they are part of the united right. states look at it and they're you know they have very uh they're, they have a lot of economic troubles they had a lot of debt even before maria uh and irma and now and you know and then they lost electricity on their whole island and he's down there throwing paper towels and still haven't gotten any of the federal aid uh to them just treating them like absolute shit and we know why we know why so Mm -hmm. it's it's absolute it is a travesty and i can't wait until he's fucking gone i hate his face yeah same unfortunately a lot of the republicans will still remain but i do hope that there's people like mitt romney that are in there that are trying to be more fair and I would be so offended if I was living in a red state and I wasn't doing well at my representative going in and saying, we're doing fine. My people don't need help. So we don't need to create any sort of sweeping measures that actually help people because I've done my job. I'd be like, it, um, it, it's fucking excuse me. Ex fucking excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's what's going on there. Uh, next story, Senator Lamar Alexander of Tennessee. He's going to self-quarantine for two weeks after a staffer in his office tested positive for COVID-19. That was announced last night, Sunday evening. Uh, his chief of staff, David Cleary, said in a statement that he tested negative for COVID-19 on May 7th and hasn't shown any symptoms. But uh, out of an abundance of caution, he's decided he's not going to return to Washington for 14 days. So... That's happening. Yeah. So now we've got all the, you know, the valet and, of course, Katie um, Miller, you know, Stephen mm-hmm. Miller's poor, poor, poor wife. Um, and, uh, and and then we have Han and Redfield and Fauci who are quarantining. Uh, Dr. Burks wore a mask today. Apparently, Trump came out and said everybody, he's requiring everyone in the West Wing to wear a mask now. Mm-hmm. So that'll be interesting, an interesting cognitive dissonance with uh, his supporters who thinks, you know, they're, they all think they're too tough for masks. And that... Absolutely. And uh, and it makes you look weak. Um, and... Uh, yeah, or that you're letting the government control your life or something by putting a covering <laughs> yeah. on your face. I've heard that argument. Uh, 
Although I will say today in that little rose garden bullshit thing he did today, Trump's Trump did another both sides thing. He said there uh, he said face masks are good, but they're also bad. It's a both sided thing. That's what he said. Are they bad. <laughs> Probably the CO2 argument. Um, like you, oh. you just, you know, you don't get enough oxygen or whatever. You're breathing in your okay. own CO2. Yeah. And OK, so just just like functionality wise not big picture wise right uh right yeah he didn't say they're bad because they make you look weak as a man no he said you know, <laughs> he said but that's he what said he was they're thinking. too big <laughs> they're too big to cover my tiny penis no he said they're too big no basically you, you know the argument people are saying the co2 yeah. will kill you go insane because, because apparently you know like all doctors nurses dentists and everyone else who wears masks for a living are completely dead already they're just ghosts and helping us right um but you know, whatever. Um, it was just a giant propaganda fest. Um, yeah, totally. And then he walked out at the end. Uh, yeah, I still haven't watched the end of it. I got to watch the rest of it. And then he yelled at that. Oh, yeah. He did a, his, pointed his a finger at a, at a woman reporter and said, uh, I know you better than you probably know yourself. I know what you're about or something like that. And then had a racist Asian thing going on. It was just a... Yep. He asked he asked a reporter who is Asian that she should ask China. <laughs> and she was like, oh "Why did you God. feel the need to direct that comment towards me?" He was like, "Because you said something nasty." <gasps> oh. Yeah. I mean, he's like he's done that before. A- Do you remember when he <laughs> he said that to it might have been Yamish, it might have been somebody else, but he said to a black reporter um, when the black reporter asked him something about the black caucus, you know, what, how do they feel about you? And he's like, you tell me, you know, do you remember when he did that? He's done that before. Oh yeah. He has zero filter when it comes to like racism and that he leans into that. He sees, he sees a potentially cringy, the opposite of politically correct situation and leans into it. It's fucking, and that's why people some people love him and it's infuriating mm-hmm. they think that's like entertainment or something and it's like this isn't entertaining it's like it makes him fucking non-credible and crude and like gross and it 100 percent like pervades people's brains like his supporters and stuff and it's just so bad like dude i had a mover that was like um he said yeah it's just been really hard you know because if only one person in our company gets sick we're gonna, you know, we might close down. So, like, we had a Japanese person that was sick and, like, coughing, and we just canceled the job. I was like, this okay. is the most, that's the most racist shit. First off, wrong country. If you're gonna be racist, <laughs> at least get your facts straight. That's <laughs> like, it's awful. You gotta be factually racist. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh um and then just just to wrap up uh this this final story so there's there's a researcher named peter dadzik uh d-a-s-z-a-k i think that's how you say that but he's a british-born american phd basically what this guy does is he he spent like his whole career discovering dangerous viruses and in wildlife especially bats and he's done a lot of work with um china's wuhan institute and a lot of that work has been funded by the nih uh, so so essentially what happened two weeks ago, funding was killed to that. It's it's essentially the only way that he's able to do this research with China's Wuhan Institute is through these official channels, which comes through funding 
through the NIH or, or through various other official channels. So NIH uh, gave this 3.7 million grant to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And then they advertise that they need coronavirus researchers. Um, and then follow, basically w- what happened was those facts got spun by people like Matt Gates and people like mm-hmm. Trump and they said isn't it a coincidence that that happened and then the coronavirus erupted in Wuhan and Trump totally bit onto that and his administration bit onto that and his supporters bit onto that and now they can't they want to cancel that sort of funding and this guy is just like this is fucking you know absurd my words not his uh, because that work actually has led to the discovery of really important discoveries and it's like for one of them there's there's a drug what is this drug called again mm-hmm. god damn it oh remdesivir um oh yeah remdesivir yeah so he said he said that that drug was actually tested against the viruses that we discovered under that research under that nih research funding so there's a lot of tangible work that's being done with that money. Now they want to stop the flow of that money strictly because they're listening to idiots like Matt Gates that are making connections that don't really exist. And it's it's just it's awful. It's just it just really it really fucking sucks. It's just more isolationism, more American isolationism, more honestly just straight up like racism and now that funding is just like going away. Yeah. And and I mean, I think there's a bigger picture op here as well. He's trying to just hide factual information about coronavirus because any factual information that comes out about it is going to go against what he wants, which is let everybody die and open the country and, and don't hurt the economy. He doesn't want the testing numbers to come out. It's been he admitted that. Uh, over the weekend with his own words, um, saying it makes us look bad and it makes it look bad for my reelection. So he doesn't want the numbers to come out. He's hid, he, you know, shelved the entire CDC uh, reopen America, a uh, 60 page flowchart document with decision trees, um, shelved that, buried it, killed it. Um, and, you know, and then we have all these governors who he's, I'm sure, spoken to to try to not have their numbers come out in Florida and Arizona, stopped ASU from doing modeling. Um, the new model, by the way, um, they redid the model. The mod- <laughs> So remember way back in the day, the first model said 100 and, about 100,000 to 250,000. And then it got modified to 80,000. And then it got modified to 61,000. And then it went back up to 66. And then 74. And then 80. And then 90. And now it's back up to 134,000. So it seems as though all of the social distancing that we've been doing all the sacrificing that way and sacrificing our jobs and staying home uh, because they're reopening everything. We're back to exactly where we started. And it's, 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 I'm livid about this. Um, My mother, she's 73. She lives in Arizona. Doug Ducey, the governor is not releasing number. He's downplaying the amount of deaths. He's, he's, Keep he's suppressing the facts on what's happening in coronavirus and allowed salons to reopen. So my mom thought it was safe and okay to go to a salon if the governor says that they, you know, that we can. He must be basing his decisions on facts, right? And so she went and got a haircut on Sunday for Mother's Day. And um she's 74, she's diabetic. She shouldn't she shouldn't be doing that. And and 
he this is it's it's like elder abuse you know and it's it i'm just livid about it but it's it's clear they just want to blame china that's their whole operation that's their whole motive and they don't care how many people die as a matter of fact if people who tend to vote democrat democratically are the ones who die more then it's beneficial to them but um, another source here says Trump is worried that the White House outbreak undermines his claim that we're good to reopen. So he doesn't care about the people. He just cares about mm-hmm. his, how he looks. Uh, and Gavin Newsom tweeted along, you know, your, your first story about the budget, the state budgets. Gavin Newsom tweeted new without federal support. The states will be forced to make impossible decisions today. California, Oregon, Washington, Nevada and Colorado and our legislative leaders have joined together to ask the federal government for one trillion dollars to protect our schools, public health and public safety services. So their coalition's coming at them. I think mm-hmm. we'll see how it goes. But I. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm just so I'm just so angry that they just want to reopen everything and suppress the numbers and and try to get reelected. Uh, yeah, well, and it doesn't help that the more time that goes on, people have this. You know, they're already saying there are polls going out that Americans are like less nervous of family members get falling ill with COVID nineteen and stuff. And and I think some of that's natural, just because something starts out as a very very scary threat, which it is. And then time goes on and then you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess me and my family are kind of okay for now. And then you start thinking that that means things are either getting better or they're not going to affect you. And and I I understand the natural tendency for that to just happen in your brain. But that being said, that doesn't necessarily fall in line with what all the scientists and experts are saying. And just because you get this feeling that things are like safer... Uh, that doesn't mean that that's the case, really. All that mm-hmm. really means is that your brain has done some gymnastics to make you feel more comfortable in what is a continuously traumatizing situation. 100%. My, at least that's how my brain works. I, yeah, that's how my yeah. brain works, too. Well, thank you for those updates, as infuriating as they are. Um, we will be. We do have the good news block with Mandy later, and, and so I'm looking forward to that. But before that, we've got a whole uh, other block of news. And then later on, I'll be talking to former federal prosecutor Ellie Honig, who signed his name to the the open letter to asking Bill Barr to resign because of the, you know, in response to the Flynn motion to dismiss from the Department of Justice, Um, he and him and two, two, about 2000 other uh, former DOJ employees have signed this letter. So I'll be speaking with him later on in the show. So everybody stick around. Jordan, thanks again for those updates. Uh, We'll be right back with more headlines after this quick break. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's AG for The Daily Beans. Being stuck at home these days, you probably don't think much about internet privacy. On your own home network, you just fire up in incognito mode on your browser and no one can see what you're doing, right? Uh, wrong. Even in incognito mode, your online activity can still be traced. Even if you clear your browsing history, your internet service provider can still see every single website you visited. That's why, even when I'm at home, I never go online without using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN makes sure your internet service provider can't see what sites you visit. Instead, your internet connection is rerouted through ExpressVPN secure servers. Each ExpressVPN server has an IP address that's shared among thousands of users, which means everything you do is anonymized and can't be 
traced back to you. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your data with the best in-class encryption, so your information is always protected. Use the internet with confidence from your computer, tablet, or smartphone. ExpressVPN has you covered on every device. Simply tap one button and bang, you're protected. ExpressVPN is the fastest and most trusted VPN on the market. It's rated number one by CNET, Wired Magazine, The Verge, and countless more. So protect your online activity today with the VPN that I trust to secure my privacy and visit my special link at expressvpn.com dailybeans and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash dailybeans. Expressvpn.com slash dailybeans to learn more. All right, everybody, welcome back. From Politico today, Biden's campaign has formally started, formally, not formally, formally started vetting a group of prospects for vice president that includes roughly a dozen women. But in interviews, more than two dozen Democrats, including advisors, allies, and donors aligned with Biden, returned to Harris as an early frontrunner. And then Senator Elizabeth Warren in Massachusetts is the favorite among progressives, and she's also seen rising above the pack. So those are the top two right now, Warren and Harris, who are my top two picks as well. So hooray. And a Flynn update. We have three major opinion pieces by former DOJ lifers, along with an open letter signed by almost 2,000 former Department of Justice employees calling for Bill Barr's resignation. Again, Uh, But these three op-eds are fire, and they come from Chuck Rosenberg, Mary McCord, and today Jonathan Kravis. Let's start with Rosenberg's piece. Chuck Rosenberg is a former U.S. attorney from Southern District, senior FBI official, formerly an acting head of the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency. You've likely seen him on MSNBC with his silky smooth voice and his calm demeanor and succinct speaking style. Or you've heard his podcast called The Oath that is put out by MSNBC. He came out early. Uh, last year to say he thought Barr um, would do an okay job. He's a career lawman, he said, but he has since changed his views based on the actions of the attorney general. This is a while back he changed his views. But in this op-ed, he goes after the heart of the Department of Justice's motion to dismiss the case against Flynn, which is the argument that, sure, he lied, but not materially, and therefore can't be prosecuted. That is the core of their case to dismiss this charge. And the piece he wrote for the Washington Post carries the headline, The Long List of People Who Thought Flynn's Lies Were Material. Just nice and to the point. He opens with a brief summary of what happened, saying, Michael Flynn made false statements to the FBI uh, interviewing him about his December 2016 telephone conversation with a Russian diplomat. Flynn had previously traveled to Russia, received payments from Russia-related companies, including more than $40,000 from a Russian state-backed entity, dined with the Russian president, intervened in sanctions levied by the outgoing Obama administration, punishing Russia for its 2016 election interference, and then lied to the incoming vice president, among other senior White House officials, about his intervention. So nice quick wrap-up about the, the former life of General Michael Flynn. Uh, When he repeated similar lies to the FBI during a January 2017 interview, he was charged with a federal crime and subsequently pleaded guilty in federal court, unquote. That is from the the lead from this op-ed. He then says uh, Flynn's lies were material and that it's not even a close call whether or not they were were material. And that's the central argument, again, that Barr makes to drop the case against Flynn. Rosenberg says, quote, had Flynn been asked his favorite ice cream flavor... Uh, by FBI agents and told him it was vanilla when he actually preferred chocolate, that would be immaterial. 
But lying to the FBI about his conversation with a Russian diplomat, given his financial and other ties to Russia, in the wake of a massive Russian interference in our 2016 election, and during an FBI counterintelligence investigation concerning Russia, that is material, plain and simple. Unquote. Chuck then goes on uh, to give his partial list of those who thought Flynn's lies were material. First is Trump. Trump fired Flynn for lying to Pence and the FBI. Wouldn't have fired Flynn if his lies weren't material. Then Pence thought Flynn's lies were material, stating, you know, he knew he was fired for lying to him and that Trump made the right decision to fire him. So Trump and Pence thought Flynn's lies were material. Next, senior Justice uh, Department officials, including Acting Attorney General Sally Yates and National Security Division Chief Mary McCord, thought Flynn's lies were material because, as the Mueller report noted, They were concerned it, quote, created a compromised situation for Flynn because the Russian government could prove Flynn lied. That, as the report further noted, afforded leverage over Flynn such that Russia could use the derogatory information to compromise Flynn. Next, federal prosecutors on Mueller's team thought Flynn's lies were material by signing their names to court documents supporting Flynn's guilty plea for lying. Then, Federal Judge Contreras thought Flynn's lies were material because judges only accept guilty pleas if the elements of the crime have been proven. Judge Emmett Sullivan thought Flynn's lies were material because he accepted his guilty plea as well, and Sullivan noted explicitly in a written order that Flynn's lies were material. Uh, That's the one that stands out to me here, because despite Sullivan putting in writing Flynn's lies were material, the Department of Justice is arguing to Sullivan that they're not. Seems unwise. They also argued that they should go, they should be lenient on him in sentencing because he's a general. Knowing, and maybe they didn't know, but I know, we know, that he is the opposite of that. He he holds, you know, former military officers to a higher standard as he did in the Petraeus case. He's not having any of that. Flynn's first lawyers thought his lies were material because they signed their names to the plea document. And finally, Flynn thought his lies were material. Quote, He signed his name to a plea agreement, knowingly and voluntarily, and because he was, in fact, guilty of the crime charged. Flynn stipulated to a filed statement of the offense and declared under penalty of perjury that it is true and correct. That statement, to which Flynn agreed, noted that Flynn made materially false statements and omissions during an interview with the FBI on January 24, 2017, and then spelled out in detail those false material statements. Flynn pleaded guilty in front of one federal judge, maintained his guilty plea in front of a second federal judge, and while under oath, twice admitted that he lied and that his lies were material. Then after all that, Rosenberg says, maybe we look at the people who don't think Flynn's lies are material. He's a partial list. And that's Barr and Trump. Quote, yes, Trump made both lists, he says. It's a beautiful thing, George Orwell wrote, the destruction of words. You should read that op-ed. You will not be sorry. Next, let's go to the Mary McCord piece from the New York Times titled, quote, Bill Barr twisted my words in dropping the Flynn case, <laughs> unquote. Mary McCord was the acting assistant attorney general for national security at Maine Justice in 2016 and 2017. She notes the motion to dismiss was filed by Tim Shea, and she says specifically uh, he's a longtime trusted advisor of Barr's. So she thinks that she thinks that's relevant. Uh, and she said the motion cites her 25 times. She says the 302 of her interview in no way supports the dismissal of the case because the FBI had a counterintelligence reason to investigate Flynn. That, by the way, is what makes his lie material. 
She says, quote, notably, Mr. Barr's motion to dismiss does not argue that the FBI violated the Constitution or statutory law when agents interviewed Mr. Flynn about his calls with Mr. Kislyak. It does not claim that they violated his Fifth Amendment rights by coercively questioning him when he was free to leave. Nor does the motion claim uh, that the interview was the fruit of a search and seizure that violated the Fourth Amendment. Fruit of the poison tree. Any of these might have justified moving to dismiss the case, she says. And I'm glad she refers to the document as Mr. Barr's motion, by the way, because it is. So then she goes on to the crux of her argument, saying, quote, The account of my interview in 2017 doesn't help the department support this conclusion, and it is disingenuous for the department to twist my words to suggest that it does. What the account of my interview describes is a difference of opinion about what to do with the information that Mr. Flynn had lied, uh, apparently lied, to the incoming vice president, Mr. Pence, and others in the incoming administration about whether he had discussed the Obama administration's sanctions against Russia in his calls with Mr. Kislyak. Finally, we have the Jonathan Kravis op-ed. This is the most recent one. He's a former federal prosecutor, former because he resigned from the Stone case when uh, Flynn, when Barr interfered in, in the sentencing there. And the Department of Justice, he, he, he's the one who left the whole department. Um, the rest of the prosecutors just withdrew their names from the case. He resigned from the Department of Justice. He opens the op-ed saying, three months ago, I resigned from the Justice Department after 10 years as a career prosecutor. I left a job I loved because I believe the department had abandoned its responsibility to do justice in one of my cases, United States v. Roger Stone. At the time... I thought that the handling of the Stone case, with senior officials intervening to recommend a lower sentence for a longtime ally of President Trump, was a disastrous mistake, and that the department would not make it again. I was wrong. He says he was compelled to speak out because of the Department of Justice's handling of the Flynn case, and it's profoundly, he said it's profoundly misguided because his colleagues within the department are duty-bound to remain silent, and because these politicized actions by Barr will do lasting damage to the institution. He says in both cases, the department undercut the work of career employees to protect an ally of the president, an abdication of the commitment to equal justice under the law. In fact, the department appointed Mueller to avoid the appearance of political influence. So to directly intervene makes what Barr is doing even more egregious. He says, but to me at the heart of this, no, I say, to me at the, at the heart of this op-ed is, is, is his statement here. He says, quote, as the attorney general knows, those career prosecutors and agents cannot respond. The department prohibits employees from talking to the media about criminal cases with high-level approval, or excuse me, without high-level approval. Department lawyers are ethically bound to protect their, the confidences of their clients. Barr's decision to excuse himself from these obligations and attack his own silenced employees is alarming. It sends an unmistakable message to prosecutors and agents. If the president demands, we will throw you under the bus, unquote. The dedicated public servants who remain cannot respond publicly to those who claim that the department acted appropriately in these cases, he says. Uh, but I can, and I say this. Uh, this is uh, Kravis. He says, if the department truly acted because of good faith commitments to legal positions, then Where's the evidence of those commitments in other cases that do not involve friends of the president? Where are the narcotics cases in which the department has filed a sentencing memorandum overruling career prosecutors? Where are the other false statements cases dismissed after a guilty plea? 
And then finally, he addresses the future, saying, quote, the task of repairing this damage will fall on the department's career agents and prosecutors, and it is for them that I write this. Your work of investigating and prosecuting criminal cases is hard, and it becomes even harder when witnesses and jurors start to believe that the Justice Department's handling of these cases is infected by politics. Your service during these times is a credit to the department, and you will be at your posts serving justice long after this attorney general is gone. I think that's just so well written. Check out these op-eds. Mary McCord in the New York Times and then Washington Post is carrying uh, Jonathan Kravitz's and um, Chuck Rosenberg's. They're just so well written. And it's nice to finally hear some folks speaking out, particularly about the conversations we've had recently on this podcast with folks like Glenn Kirshner and Lincoln's Bible about time to break the silence. Uh, And we're going to talk more about this with, uh, along with the open letter asking for Barr's resignation, which has been signed by almost 2,000 former Department of Justice employees, with uh, one of the people who signed it, Ellie Honig, right after this. So stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or that's preventing you from achieving your goals? You're feeling down, um, feeling lonely, feeling anxious? BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in less than 24 hours. BetterHelp is not a crisis line, and it's not self-help. It's professional counseling, honest, real professional counseling done securely online. And everybody needs a little help from time to time. Uh, I've sought help and continue to seek help for PTS and anxiety, and I highly recommend seeking help when you need it. It really does make a difference. And BetterHelp's service is available for clients worldwide with a broad range of experts in in their counselor network, which might not be locally available in your area. Uh, You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. Um, You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, and you can schedule weekly phone or video sessions so you don't have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room, as with traditional therapy. And BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change your counselor if you need to. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. We all need help with health care right now, and financial aid is available. Visit their website and read their testimonials, like this one from BetterHelp user N.A. Quote, after counseling with Jasmine Jones, Jasmine is a godsend. Her approach and feedback are exactly what I need to work toward bettering myself and undoing trauma so that I can cope better throughout my life. I highly recommend her. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an expert, experienced professional. Special offer for Daily Beans listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, As I discussed before the break, multiple former federal prosecutors are speaking out in the wake of the Department of Justice filing a motion to dismiss the case against Michael Flynn. And joining me to discuss some of the key points is a former federal prosecutor and CNN legal analyst, Ellie Honig. Ellie, thanks for agreeing to speak with me today. My pleasure. I've, I've got a lot on my mind, so I'm looking forward to a good vent session. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Uh, I wanted to talk to you today for, for two main reasons. First, you're a former federal prosecutor. And, and second, you tweeted today um, after reading the Kravis op-ed in the Washington Post uh, about something that stood out to you uh, 
and it, it is the, the main thing that stood out to me, too. And that's the concept of not being able to speak out. And I was hoping you could talk about what that means and, and why it stood out to you. Yeah, so it's a detail, but but this is a detail that matters. And one of the things that Kravis, who was one of the prosecutors on the Roger Stone case, points out in his op-ed piece is it is such an unfair, one-sided fight. When William Barr is out there, it's bad enough that he is out there bad-mouthing and undermining his own prosecutors, people who work beneath him in the Justice Department. But it's that much worse because Justice Department policy absolutely prohibits those prosecutors from standing up for themselves. It prohibits you from making any kind of public statement other than what you put in writing or say in the courtroom. I mean, that is A, it's in writing in the Justice Department manual. B, it is drilled into you from the first day in the Justice Department. You never speak to the press. You never speak about an ongoing investigation. I mean, they had us so scared at the SDNY where I work, where occasionally a reporter will just call you directly. And I would just hang up on them. I would just go call the press office, click. Like, you know, you are just drilled. That is drilled into your head. And so to see the boss or if you're some if you're a line assistant working day by day, your boss's boss's boss is out there publicly berating you and undermining you. And you can't even say anything until you leave the department, as Kravis did shortly a short while ago. That is that is both uh, inappropriate and, and really just just. I don't know what our language policy is here, but I'll just say chicken S by the, by the attorney general. <laughs> oh, we are, uh, our slogan is news with swearing. So you can say chicken shit. <laughs> okay. That, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you, uh, you were what former, uh, federal prosecutor for 10 years. Well, I was eight and a half federal and then I was five and a half state. So 14 years as a prosecutor, eight and change with DOJ. Yeah, I, I was an executive branch employee for 11 uh, years, and you're absolutely correct. You get any kind of phone call at all to give any kind of comment, uh, and, you know, especially when you work your way up to, you know, a pretty respectable level within that organization, you immediately just say, call the publicity office, call the press office, and I, I can't speak about it, and it's just, you're right, it's drilled into you. In fact, that's why we freaked out so much when Mueller actually wrote a letter saying, Barr, you're full of shit. You're mischaracterizing all of our work because just writing that down is so is such a big deal. And everyone's like, whatever, he should come out and just talk. And I'm like, that's just not how it works. And and to attack people, you know, cannot fight back is just the most cowardly thing I can I can think of. And so you're right. They would have to, like Kravis, resign from their jobs in the federal government. And a lot of people just don't have the luxury of doing that. Or they're, you know, they want to continue to do the good work that they do uh, and be ethical and, and bound by duty. And so it's just it's just despicable that that they would they would take this line of attack knowing that they can't defend themselves. It says a lot to me about William Barr's leadership and character. I mean, already this personal attack, these personal attacks that he's launched on prosecutors are just the the cherry on on the the Sunday of incompetence from this guy. Because if you look beyond that, he's doing things regularly that are forbidden in the Justice Department manual itself. Right. The Justice Department manual is a public document. You get it on day one when you're a prosecutor. And it's kind of the Bible. And. Two of the obvious things it says is, one, you don't comment on a pending investigation and and you certainly don't tip your hand and bars out there going, oh, there's a lot more to come. And I feel like this is going to dark places. I'm paraphrasing him, but I I think everyone knows the quote I'm I'm referring to. Um, I mean, you just 
do not do that. And he's out there doing that. And the second thing is you don't inject politics into anything you do. And he's out there calling. At one point, he said Donald Trump was really statesmanlike in the way he's handled the coronavirus. I mean, he's he's virtually openly campaigning for the guy. Um, and you know what I'd like to see? Maybe I'm. Living, it's easier said from the outside. I would love to see one of these prosecutors from Stone or one of Mueller's guys who's still in the department just stand up and make a statement. Because I'll, I'll tell you what, could they fire him for that? Sure. But would they have the guts to? I doubt it because they're all talk. Now, easier for me to say I don't work there. It's not my career on the line. But these guys could uh, most of these guys could sign on with a big law firm and make a huge amount of money anyway. But wouldn't that be great if one of these guys or, or women just said like, no. Bill Barr, you're out of line. You're wrong. And here's why. I would love to see that. Yeah, I was saying the exact same thing about doctors Burke and Fauci today. They're they're, they're sort of being sidelined. I'm like, they should come out, do press conferences every day, uh, go on the public record, shout from the rooftops, be on 60 Minutes. And if they get fired, write a book. You'll be fine. You know? (laughs) Right, right. Well, sometimes, listen, sometimes there's some honor in being fired if you're fired by the right person. (laughs) True, true. Everybody gets excited when Donald Trump blocks them on Twitter. So it's kind of like that. Yeah. (laughs) Now, additionally, from The Washington Post today, uh, we're up to almost 2000 former Justice Department employees who have signed on to a letter. Uh, This happened after the Stone thing. And I think it happened after the census thing. But this is signed on to a letter calling for Barr's resignation. And you are one of the signatories on this letter. That's actually the third reason I wanted to speak to you today. Can you tell us about that open letter and why you signed it? Yeah. So this letter is really about it, it, narrow focus. It's about William Barr's latest malfeasance, which is moving to dismiss the charges against Michael Flynn. But really bigger picture to me, it's about much more than just Michael Flynn or even Roger Stone before him, which I think was the occasion for a prior similar letter that we wrote. Um, here's the thing. It's not about Michael Flynn, the person or Roger Stone, the person to me. I don't frankly care that much how long any either of them goes to prison, whether it's six months or four months or two years or probation, that every case stands on its own. There's probably an argument to to be made for more or less time. It's not about those two guys. It's about the fact that the United States Department of Justice has become politicized and at least defensively weaponized. And here's what I mean. The Department of Justice in a typical year prosecutes over 50,000, usually over 60,000, but conservatively 50,000 cases. And out of all those cases, Bill Barr has been in office now a bit over a year. Which two are the only ones where he has stepped in and taken unprecedented steps to undermine his own people and clearly to support the president's political agenda? I mean, I don't think anyone in the world, whatever, wherever you are on the political spectrum, wherever you are on Bill Barr, can argue that it's just some coincidence that he focused on Stone and Flint. He did it because they're the president's stalking horses. He did it because the president is out there rallying and railing about these two. And that undermines everything that the Justice Department is about. I think Bill Barr has destroyed his own credibility and he has has completely given away any notion of independence that he has. And it's done real institutional damage to the Justice Department. But the Justice Department will survive, I think, because of alums, because of people speaking out and because of the 99.9% of people who work there who are apolitical and just do their jobs every day. Yeah. And I imagine if if people do resign and and speak out, then, you know, when when Joe Biden is elected in November, I'm sure they'll have a place to go back to. So, you know, um, again, that that that's a that's a big that's a big gamble. But (laughs) with uh, with Russia uh, being involved. But um, 
anyway, yeah, and and it's interesting that you bring up this concept of why are these the only two? Why haven't you uh, muscled your way in on any other injustices, uh, Mr. Barr? And then, of course, we have Mary McCord, who who has who who was her words were used in this filing, this garbage filing. And she came out and said, look, you're twisting what I've said, and here's how and here's why. So I, I was thinking about getting your top-line thoughts on on Rosenberg and McCord's op-eds as well. Well, it speaks really loudly to me when people like Rosenberg and McCord speak out publicly because they are just career. You want to talk about real career DOJ lifers. I mean, I know they're you know no longer there, but lifers who have complete bipartisan, nonpartisan, whatever you want to call it, credibility. The two of them to speak up says an awful lot to me. And, and um, McCord's piece was so interesting because here's a, maybe an underrated thing about Bill Barr. He's dishonest. I mean, this guy will not hesitate to twist the facts and twist the law. I mean, Robert Mueller called him out on it. A, a federal judge in D.C. recently called Bill Barr out on it. And, and what Mary McCord says, if you read her article, it's so interesting because the DOJ brief where they ask to undo Michael Flynn's guilty plea, they refer to Mary McCord's statement I believe it's 25 times. And they give the impression that McCord was railing against this. This is an improper case. We shouldn't be involved in this. And she says in her article, that's not at all what I was saying. I did. I had no issue with the fact that we had a real problem with on our hands dealing with Michael Flynn. And we had every right to be in there investigating her. Her disagreement was really a tactical one. It was really a turf battle that you see often in DOJ. She didn't like the fact that the FBI went and approached him without sort of doing it hand in hand with DOJ. That's your routine turf battle stuff. But Bill Barr took that and he just spun it and distorted it into even Mary McCord, this respected person, thought this was a bogus prosecution. And today she says, oh, no, not at all. My issue was something else entirely. It's so dishonest. And the notion of, a, of, of an attorney general being found non-credible by special counsel and a very reserved man, Robert Mueller, who avoids, you know, avoids taking on that kind of fight and a federal judge. I mean, once in a while, a federal judge once in a while makes a finding on a record that some poor FBI agent or maybe not poor, but some FBI agent or maybe once in a while, some AUSA, which I was line prosecutor said something that was not fully forthcoming or not fully credible. When that happens, that's like a bomb hitting the office. I mean, it's a huge deal. It happened to one guy who was a few years ahead of me, and everyone was so shaken for him, and it, it virtually destroyed the guy's career. But now to have that kind of finding made against the top person in the entire Justice Department repeatedly it is, uh, is just something I never imagined. Yeah, and, and Trump and Barr can't pretend they don't know about these kind of turf wars. I mean, Comey did this with the Clinton case. He, he went around the DOJ, said he didn't want to involve the DOJ because, it, you know, could it, he wanted to, I don't know, to save them for, I, you know, this sanctimonious whatever. Right. <laughs> so so they can't pretend, and they were fine with that. But then again, they came out later and tried to, to prosecute Comey for that and say that that was the reason they fired him. Uh, and so to have that, that cognitive dissonance with, you know, the, uh, the mischaracterization of Mary McCord's uh, you know, disagreement with the FBI making an end run around the department is just, it makes absolutely no sense. And of course, Trump supporters, I don't think have the wherewithal to make that connection, but. Right. Well, you have to be really paying attention to even grasp and, and this, right? I mean, I think the vast majority, if you look at the, the president's tweet storms, which he's now done two or three nights in a row, it, it's just 
Comey, Clapper, Obama, evil, 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 treason, treason, treason. And I don't know that there's a whole lot more nuance. Can I just tell you a quick moment of holy crap that I had? Yeah, please. Someone asked me to, to go through the tweets for, for another show I was doing. And so I was just like, oh, God, all right, I'll force myself to read through this whole tweet storm <laughs> for the mother, the infamous Mother's Day tweet storm. And there, right in the middle of it was one of my tweets. I was like, oh, my God, I'm on the president's timeline here because I had tweeted that at some point Robert Mueller needs to step forward and stand up for his line prosecutors and, and DOJ. And some someone had a snarky response. Oh, Mueller can't even think straight or whatever. And the president saw that and liked it and retweeted. I said, oh, there I am. I mean, and sadly, my, my reaction wasn't really like, oh, my goodness, the president of the United States saw something I did and, and, and had a thought about a comment on it. It was just, my thought was, don't you have anything better to do than be reading my dumb tweets in the middle of the night when there's a pandemic? Mm-hmm. But um, apparently not. Yeah, it was like when Rick Grinnell uh, tweeted at, at Greg Oliar. You know, it, it, like, I think Greg Oliar is the bee's knees, but what the fuck are you doing at the office of DNI where you have time to get into a... Right. A, a, a tw- uh, uh, and, I mean, at least pretend. At least pretend you're, you're really concerned with this. <laughs> yeah, act, just act professional. Maybe put a suit on in your Twitter picture. I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, he's wearing blades, like like he's going to the Cobra Kai dojo. He's just such a douche. Um, oh man. <laughs> Listen, there's an argument that the Cobra Kai was actually the good guys, but I don't want to get too sidetracked. Uh, I've seen that video. It's pretty great. That, that <laughs> Daniel LaRusso is actually the bat, the evil one. Yeah. It's, totally. It's a, I, I subscribe to that. It's a good argument. Um, <laughs> and and so before I let you go, oral arguments tomorrow on Deutsche Bank and Mazars. Um, I, I assume you'll be listening. What should we be looking for? And do you think that's what prompted this tweet storm? Or do you think it's the Mueller grand jury material stuff? Did he get some news about about it that we don't know yet? I mean, it'd be great. No. It'd be great if this if the Supreme Court like was like, we're not going to grant this stay and uh, we're not going to hear your merits. But uh, I don't think I think I think we learn about it when they when they say it. Yeah, I think the Supreme Court's going to rule against Trump here. I think they're going to rule that his tax returns have to go over at least to the New York, the Manhattan D.A. Now, here's the thing. The, the cases that will be argued in the Supreme Court, it's actually three cases. The court has consolidated into one. There's two different subpoenas from House committees to these banks or financial institutions trying to get Trump's returns. And then there's a third that the New York DA subpoenaed to try to get his returns. So, and by the way, six courts have heard these three cases. Each one has been through the federal district court and then the federal court of appeals. So far, Trump is 0 for 6. All six courts have said those subpoenas are legitimate. You have to turn over the records. Now, look, Supreme Court is is a different, uh, a different creature, and we'll see. But to me, I think they could probably find a way to weasel around the congressional one because the the, the the two congressional subpoenas the question is does congress have a legitimate legislative purpose now the courts who've heard those cases before have said look it's up to congress to decide what their legislative purpose is unless it's something outrageous we're going to uphold it mm-hmm. i think they could probably if, if they got a five to four ideological majority and they really wanted to rule in trump's favor they could craft some stretched argument of there's no legitimate legislative purpose here. But the one I just cannot see going in the president's favor is a, the criminal subpoena from the Manhattan district attorney's office, because his argument there, Trump's argument there is not only can I not be prosecuted when I'm in office, I can't even be investigated while I'm in office, which is insane. I mean, as I've said before, if you take, if you take that argument 
let's take the president's own hypothetical about shooting someone on Fifth Avenue. If he actually did that, he never would. But if he did actually shoot someone on Fifth Avenue, using the president's own argument, NYPD, FBI crime scene, sorry, you can't even in- investigate the crime scene. You can't take ballistics. You can't, you can't look for DNA or fingerprints. You can't photograph the scene because he's in office and you'd be investigating him. That just cannot be. So I think I think the court's going to rule against him, at least on the subpoena uh, from the, the criminal subpoena from the Manhattan D.A. I think the Congress subpoenas shouldn't be a close call. But I think, look, it's going to be four four somehow or other, I think. And then Roberts will probably break that tie. But I actually do think maybe this is overly optimistic. I think there's a chance the court pulls together here and, and they like to do it historically if they can on big decisions and find a way to be unanimous or near unanimous. It, the, the argument that Trump is making is so lacking in merit. I think it's just possible that you could even see the conservatives say, sorry, y- you don't win this one. That, that's that's how I think it should come out. But uh, we will see. Yeah. And I think we're going to hear that hypothetical about shooting someone on Fifth Avenue tomorrow. And I think we're going to hear a lot about uh, Clinton v. Jones, because that was a private matter that, you know, it wasn't a criminal investigation, though. That's my only my only concern is that is that they'll is that they'll weasel around it by our I think maybe they'll argue. And I I can't I don't know who who's arguing uh, if it's move on. I don't know who's arguing for Trump. uh, but I think they'll try to weasel around it saying, yeah, but Clinton v. Jones was civil. This is criminal. That's different. And and I, I, it'll just be an interesting argument to hear them have to try to contort them, their, themselves into. So, Can I just tell you, I, I kind of wish this one was in person. I mean, I know they can't do it in person safely because I, I, I had a quick story for you. When, when now Justice Sotomayor, before she was on the Supreme Court, she was on the Second Circuit, which covers New York. And so we would argue. I argued in front of her in one case, and my trial partner had done something close to the line, let's just say. And then I got to do the appellate argument. And then I'll never forget that feeling of then judge, now Justice Sotomayor, looking down from that bench. She was the center of the three judges. She was the presiding. And she just said, counsel, I have a bone to pick with you. And I said, oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, I got through it and we deserved it. We deserved it. My trial partner had done something kind of a little shady. But I just I just kind of wish that that the uh, the, the litigants, the, the attorneys had to face her face to face and see what she's got like I did. Yeah, that would be great. Um, <laughs> I'm also going to be interested. I'm just always curious about what the justices will be wearing on their teleconference uh, because they <laughs> because they can't be seen. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, thank you so much for, for discussing uh, these issues with me today. Everybody, Ellie Honig, uh, former federal prosecutor, CNN legal analyst. Thanks again. We'll talk soon. Thanks, AJ. All right, everybody. We'll be right back after this break with uh, the good news block with Mandy Reeder. Hey, everybody. It's AG, and this episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Beach Body on Demand. Right now, we're all stuck at home watching the grass grow. Uh, it's easy to stay planted on the couch. It's easy to eat a lot. I've been doing that. That's pretty much everything, the thought that goes through my head all day. But we need to stay active. We need to keep moving. And you can work out and take classes in the comfort of your own home with Beachbody On Demand. Beachbody On Demand is the easy-to-use streaming service that gives you instant access to over 1,300 super effective, fun workouts suited for anybody at any time. Beachbody On Demand is the best streaming workout platform. They're the company behind P90X and Insanity and 21 Day Fix. You can check out some of Beachbody's newest programs like Morning Meltdown 100. And the 80-Day Obsession is awesome. Uh, I started that a little bit ago. And you can feel you can start every day strong. 
Um, like I said, I started an 80-day obsession. I feel stronger. I feel more accomplished. It's more about my mental health than actually getting through. These are hard workouts, but uh, they have so many different kinds of workouts for all levels. Uh, and with Beachbody On Demand, you'll get motivated by celebrity super trainers and have access to hundreds of effective workouts. Again, like I said, at all levels with weight training, cardio, yoga, dance workouts, meditation, mindfulness. And you can exercise on your schedule with workouts as short as 10 minutes that don't require any equipment. And so in the time it would take you to drive to the gym and park, you'll be finished working out. You can't do that anyway. We're all at home. So you can access this anywhere, anytime, on your computer, tablet, or smartphone. It is the best deal in fitness, and listeners of The Daily Beans can try it absolutely free. I want you to check out Beachbody, so right now our listeners can get a special free trial membership when you text Daily Beans, all one word, to 303030. You'll get full access to the entire platform for free. All the workouts, the nutrition information, and the support, totally free. Again, just text Daily Beans, all one word, to 303030. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for your favorite part, the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. And joining me today for the good news block and the quarantine confessions is Mandy Reeder. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you. Everybody misses you. So we're going to make you jump on and, and read some good news so yeah sounds good to me uh sorry for the animal crossing tangent but um uh joelle shared with me a list of the ranking of villagers today did you see that uh she sent that to me as well i have a couple of a's and a bunch of d's and c's no no s's i don't have any superstars i got two s's well touch you i know proud i got julian the gay unicorn and Audie, who i don't know what she is a fox i think Anyway, I'm very pleased. I'm very smug about this. Nice. <laughs> my my cat my cat Bob is an A, and my elephant uh, teacup. Well, she calls me teacup. She's an A. Bianca. Sweet. Wait, no, Bianca's the tiger. Anyway, my little cute elephant. I want to have a quick word on um, submission of good news. So something I did over the last few days upon the advice of a patron of ours, so thank you so much, was streamlining the way we collect good news in quarantine confessions because we were doing it across, we were, people were sending them in on our contact page on our website, people were emailing them to me, people were emailing them to our main email, people were tweeting them at us, people were tweeting them at my personal Twitter. It was like <sighs> six different, six different areas. It was getting kind of crazy. I wanted to be flexible and allow people to submit it where it was easiest for them. But then I thought, you know what? This is a lot of work for me. So um, <laughs> so there is now, um, there is a, a Google form and it's been super effective. We have so much good news and so much confession. So apologies if your good news or your confessions don't get on the show. We're getting so much of it and we'll try to put as much as we can on the show. But it turns out streamlining has increased the submission of these things by a lot. Um, if you submit it via our um, Daily Beans Facebook page or our Twitter page, you will get um, an instant reply now that sends you to the submission form. So uh, yeah, and then I'll put it on a pinned tweet as well. Uh, if you are not a patron, uh, you know, look for it on our Twitter page uh, and, and our Facebook page, the Daily Beans Facebook page. So that being said, uh, thank you for sending them in. Uh, I will start off with Emma. Um, Emma says, in the attempt to do the next right thing, um, I've now donated 100 homemade masks sewn from scrap fabric that my mom had when she used to make all of our clothes. That's super cute, Emma. <laughs> um, and would be happy to send you guys some cute ones if you give me an address. Aw, that's nice. Uh -huh. uh, that's very nice. 
Uh, second, I'd like to share some heartwarming good news. I work at a research organization, and the funding for the two-person project I was hired for is now very tight. We'd been banking on support from the overall organization to cover our salaries, but obviously that's not an option anymore this year, and it all has to come from the grant. Oh, that's pod dog. <laughs> Smiley. <laughs> nope, that's okay. We'll 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 keep we'll keep Moo in. Moo is awesome. You know what? He's he's having some feelings. He's stuck in the house too, so. I understand. Um, <laughs> uh, so my director, the other person in this two-person team, decided to cut his, his own position to part-time salary and give up all of the benefits of his full-time senior scholar position. Uh, by the way, this is one of the leading research organizations of our field in the world. So that there would be enough money in the budget for me, his research associate, to count on having my job and my health care for at least until December. This is someone who's been at really high levels of government, and he's going to be making far less money than I am by choice so that I don't have to sacrifice much. I've been looking for the helpers, but this is not just helping, it's character, something we need to celebrate in these often very selfish feeling times. Yes, agreed 100%. I love that. Yeah, um, that's that's it. That's amazing, Emma. I'm really happy for you. Um, This is from our patron, Buffy, uh, who's in Hawaii. She says, Aloha, ladies of the Daily Beans. Some great news from Hawaii. Our infection rate is one of the lowest in the country with the highest testing rate and lowest mortality rate. Fuck yeah, Hawaii. Yoo-hoo. I know, right? Uh, We have an awesome lieutenant governor in Hawaii, an ER physician. What a great lieutenant governor. Uh, Dr. Josh Green. (laughs) He gives daily updates on Facebook with the state's infection and mortality rates, testing numbers, hospitalizations, how many recovered, etc. He talks about what is open, what is closed, and what is soon to be open. That sounds so useful. <laughs> we are so lucky yeah. to have Dr. Green in Hawaii. Uh, more good news. Hawaii has changed to vote by mail with prepaid postage beginning with the primaries on August 8th. In-person voting is still available. Um, and election day has been a state holiday here for years. And finally, a bit more good news. Uh, me and my husband's small business qualified for the PPP loan, and we just got our money on Friday. We have 10 employees, seven are Native Hawaiian, two are minorities, Asian and Latino descent, and one immigrant. But I'm a white girl from Canada like Mandy. <laughs> 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 um, uh, and then I'm going to speed through the next part. Buffy, I apologize. You had so much good news. Basically, she goes on to say that her uh, son, uh, who's in school for his master's degree, is having someone donate a boat to him to help his complete his research dives, and uh, her daughter is uh, is getting a grant uh, to to do her PhD. So I'm so happy for your whole family. Uh, And then she says, I have so much to be grateful for, even with our recent bad news. I listen to your podcast religiously as I need the entertainment and swearing just to get through every day. I don't have the time or energy to read and research all the chaos that is happening in America right now. And I really depend on you ladies to help with that. Thank you so much for all you do. By the way, I love the quarantine happy hours. It's a good substitute for your live shows. um, But you probably wouldn't come to Hawaii anyways. I was hoping to win dinner with AG so that you could come to paradise. (laughs) You know, uh, you might uh, sometimes people who live in Hawaii get lucky and win those contests so that, you know, <laughs> I have to fly there. Um, but, you know, I'll definitely let it any, you know, I'll definitely put a shout out on Twitter um, when I, you know, if I do travel to Hawaii sometime in the future. Yeah. Um, but that's awesome. That's a lot of good news. It's so much. I mean, I, I couldn't even get through it. It was, it was a really wonderful, long, good news filled email. And then she ended with, if any of you ladies ever make it back to Hawaii when this craziness is over, please contact me. I will take you out on our boat. Uh, thank you, Buffy, a patron from the beginning. Nice. Love that. 
Okay, this is from Anonymous. Anonymous says, I was able to use my stimulus check to secure housing for a homeless guy that I work with. That's rad. He was living in his car but working. He only earned enough to pay rent and his car insurance but didn't have enough to make a security deposit. We also went to a local ministry that helps homeless people and got him in a program that will pay his electricity and water for a year. Um, He will be moving into his new place on Saturday, and I gave him my old futon, a dresser, and a table. All he wanted to do was call his mother on Mother's Day to tell her to stop worrying because he's now living in a secure place. Mm -hmm. So that's so nice. Okay. Um, All right. I'll fly through the next few. From Vicky, I live in Cambridge, Massachusetts. It was just announced that the city has set up a testing site where any resident, regardless of insurance or immigration status, can get tested for COVID. You don't need a referral. All you need to do is call. Uh, they are going to do drive through testing and we'll have options for people who don't have cars. On top of that, a restaurant in my neighborhood is uh, a restaurant in my neighborhood is unable to be open, so they've converted their space into an antibody testing site. Plus, my city has been handing out free masks to people in need and earlier in the crisis converted a community recreation facility into a homeless shelter. I'm always proud to oh. be a Cambridge resident, but this makes me extra proud. Hell yeah. Isn't nice. that where Harvard University is? Cambridge, Massachusetts? Cambridge, Ma- yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of smart people. All right. Uh, <laughs> quite. Quite. <laughs> quite. Um, all right. The last bit of good news from Gina here. After years of accumulating high interest credit card debt a recent and a recent move that made it much worse and unemployment, I made the decision to use the CARES Act to withdraw with no penalty for my 401k. I wrote almost $30,000 of checks this week, releasing me from that chokehold. I also used some of the money to donate to Biden, and I became a Daily Beans patron. Hell yeah. Wait, can you use the CARE Act to chart to take out your 401k without penalty? I, I guess. I'm taking notes. I have Gina's email if you'd like to ask her about that. <laughs> I will. Well, I'll, I'll just ask our, you know, our, our CPA. Apparently you can. Well, hot damn. Thank you for becoming a patron, Gina. That's awesome. Yes. Thank you so much. We are honored. Quite. Yes, indeed. But I'm, I'm seriously like, oh, ooh, 401k <laughs> would draw with it. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, that could help with payroll. If you didn't know, now you know. <laughs> um, all right. Are we ready for confessions? Oh, yes. Yeah, uh, let's do it. Let's get into confessions. All right. To kick off confessions, we have Roberta, and she says, quarantine confession number one. I wanted to start by saying thank you so much for all you do. Um, every Everyone there and everything you do keeps me, sa- keeps me sane. Thank you seriously for the quarantine happy hours. I love them. Plugging in with everyone and seeing and hearing y'all live helps me manage my PTSD by helping me feel less isolated. It makes me feel like I'm sitting around with my best gals having a great discussion over drinks, a bit of normalcy in an abnormal time. Yay. That's... Really, really nice. I'm so glad that you enjoy them. That's how I feel about it, too. And I really look forward to to the chats and the talking and stuff like that. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And people have really, you know, uh, people have really found a sense of community in the live chats. Like people hang out there every week. They're like, hey, are you here? They're like, yeah, I'm here. You know, like the people have really formed a sense of camaraderie. And I like love that. It's funny to see people taking pictures of their laptop screens or their TV screens and then post <laughs> of, of us of us talking and then posting them to Daily Beans. So it's like me, you and Jordan all in a freeze frame of some awful face we're making. And they're like, hanging out with my best gals. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got that weird, you know, like sometimes we have to pa- like pause Rachel Maddow to go get some more wine. And then Rachel, you come back and Rachel Maddow's face is all, you know, yeah. she's just 
making some real because she's talking about you know terrible terrible stuff so she's just being expressive yeah so she's just emoting (laughs) through her paws and we we i don't know if y'all do this at your house for no matter what you're watching but pause face is just is is fun to note it is it totally is i i've I've gotten a few good ones so far i'm like oh you captured my snaggletooth perfectly thank you (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) so thank you for that roberta um all right this is uh speaking of rachel maddow uh confession part two my live-in boyfriend is a great guy uh still from roberta and we are politically aligned well and agree on a great many things. However, he doesn't express his political views to me normally because he thinks he doesn't have the space to do so because he also doesn't vote. I know, I know, I'm working on it. Anyhow, yesterday while looking for an email in the family account, I came across an email from a suspect site. After going after going to the home site and looking around, I concluded it was a wingnut right softcore conspiracy theory site. I promptly marked it as spam and signed my honey up for news updates from the Rachel Maddow show and didn't mention it to him. The weird emails will eventually go away and my boyfriend won't know how he ended up on her mailing list, but at least he'll get a real news source to base his opinions off of. Maddow, she's fucking essential. (laughs) She's fucking essential. Yes, yes, indeed. (laughs) Speaking of Maddow and her pause face. Y'all are awesome for your mental health. uh, For mental health, I consider listening to you as self-care. Y'all are fucking essential, too. Thank you. Ah, that that means so much to me. The a bit of good news. I know we're past the good news thing, but Mandy, you'll never believe what happened to me today. Tell me. So there's a there's a local um, uh, LGBTQ plus owned women owned amazing coffee house in our neighborhood on Thorn, and I go there uh, every once in a while to get like a fancy co- coffee. So you know, because mm-hmm. otherwise I'm just at home making my French press and putting vanilla flavor in it but um <laughs> so i go there and everyone's great they have the lines marked so social distancing everyone's wearing masks everyone's being very conscientious uh, and i went in today and i went in did my order came outside was waiting because they have you wait outside so that they can continue to serve uh, one person at a time in in the shop and she came out and she says, here's your order. Another girl, and I'm just going to give my name away for this because I have to, but you know what? I don't care anymore. Um, another girl named Allison called uh, this morning and and I thought she was you and I made her your coffee and your coffee's so weird. And she was like, what is this? And so I said, tell you what, next time I call, I'll just use the name AG. And a woman sitting on the patio waiting for her order was like, are you AG? And I was like, <laughs> Yep. Yep, I'm AG. And she's like, wow, that's so amazing. I love your work. Keep it up. Thank you so much. And I was like, oh, like my heart melted. Oh, my God. And I was like, what? It was just, that was so great and so amazing. I just, our listeners are so like. Oh, that's pure chance encounter. I know. That's That's the first time I've been recognized as a podcaster. I did have to shout my name AG out, but I was a time i've been recognized in public as a podcaster (laughs) you've made it you've really made it (laughs) it's hard to get recognized in public as a podcaster i was happy about that at sundance because everyone you know gets their photos people crowding around them and shit like that and i'm like thank god i'm a podcaster (laughs) yeah it's here's the thing uh i'm happy that it's not a that this is not so focused on the video aspect because you know it's a lot of pause face if that's the case (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but that just melted my heart and made my day what a what a wonderful thing to have to just have such such kind listeners um 
it's, I mean, they're wonderful. The good news we get is like heart melting and you're all amazing. You're also all really over your children right now because the next three confessions are all of <laughs> the next three confessions are all about uh, are all about people's kids in quarantine. So um, it's it, some weeks it's like you know there's themes. Some days I get a lot about like weird nakedness, and other days people are like my kids. So today is a kid one. Uh, this is from Anna. She said, "I've been isolated at home with my husband and two sons, age ten and age three." During this lovely quarantine, and we commonly refer to our youngest son as Little Man. That's what I call my dog, actually. <laughs> little Man has mm-hmm. been great for the most part, but since the weather in our area of Ohio has been cold and rainy for the majority of our lockdown experience, he has turned into a crazy, frenetic bundle of pent-up energy. We have races around the house. We play Boo, which is our version of hide-and-seek. Um, my confession is that we have officially dropped the pretense and now legitimately play fetch with him. <laughs> Ooh. We don't have any pets. We don't have any pets either. So little man even pretends to be a dog sometimes. We have also been actively trying to potty train him. So half the time he is bottomless or straight up nude, which is pretty hilarious. It's naked time. <laughs> like, like she's just playing fetch with her toddler. My husband made a joke about his quote unquote little dick energy the other day. And it made me laugh so hard that the hard seltzer I was day drinking shot out of my nose. Happy quarantine, everyone. <laughs> The hard seltzer I was day drinking. I like that you call that you have to, you know, clarify it as day, like tag it specifically as day drinking. That's great. Oh, God. That's so funny. If you're also playing fetch with your toddler, I'd love to know. That's fucking hilarious. That's pretty amazing. That's so fucking funny. Um, Okay. From Lisa. Uh, Lisa says, week eight of COVID-19 isolation. We are overseas and homeschooling. My eight-year-old daughter is fully engaged and, and, and enthusiastic, however. She comes into my home office every morning at 8 a.m. in her school uniform with her lunch packed. She has promoted herself to teacher's assistant and seats her dolls, takes the roll call, and delivers an overview of the day's activities. Yesterday, for art, she drew a picture of a woman in a yellow dress and wrote, You are my Belle on it. Belle is from Beauty and the Beast. I think my child has Stockholm Syndrome. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh. That's funny. Um, Okay, this is from Diana. Diana says, so when my son was younger, I was really good about not swearing in front of him. He's now 11, and these past three years or so have made that commitment really difficult. About three months ago, I think I gave up completely, so much so that on Sunday while we were watching SNL and Tina Fey had referenced the swearing at the TV and yelling moron, my son looked at me and said, that's you, mommy. I don't need to worry anymore what my son hears from YouTube or his friends because I think he's heard all these words from me. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to, I, I tried to, once I had, uh, once my uh, best friend had a baby, uh, I tried to, I, I, and I became the whatever the atheist version of a godmother is. I, a Tanta, they, she called me Tanta. Um, and so <laughs> she, I was trying to abbreviate my swear words, like, you know, mm-hmm. F you and the A with a D yes. or whatever. <laughs> but I was, sometimes I would abbreviate the wrong word. Like one time I said to her, WT fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> totally got it backwards. Uh, and she gave me the, she gave me the, oh, look, you know, you know how they mm-hmm. do the really big, oh, with their mouth. Oh my. And she just, ooh, she was, she, I was busted. I was busted pretty hard. I've never felt more ashamed in my whole life than when a four-year-old t- told me to put a quarter in the swear jar. I was like, oh my God, I'm a terrible person. Nice. I'm always also the nice. aunt who like 
I go home once a year to be around my like younger siblings or younger, um, my younger nephew or, um, you know, the younger members of my family. And I don't spend a lot of time with children generally because I live far away from them. And then when I'm there once a year, like every adult and child around me is like, Amanda, stop swearing. Amanda, stop swearing. My sister will be like, did you forget that you can't swear that much in front of kids? I'm like, I did forget, actually. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I try not to, but <laughs> Oops. Uh, I'm a bad person. Okay. Um... One more child-related one. I think we have time. Yeah, we have time for like, uh, like two more. Sweet. Do we have more? Do we have more after the child-related one? We, you know what? We we have so many. So I'll just do two more. We literally have okay so many confessions. Um, thank you guys for sending them in. It's it's been an avalanche, and I was la- I've been laughing pretty hard. We could start a whole new show just on these. Oh my god, I think it's really cathartic for people. I uh, mm-hmm. I, I think it's like people are needed outlet for these thoughts. <laughs> Um, <laughs> definitely. All right. From anonymous. I hate playing pretend. My psyche can handle maybe 20 minutes a day, not even every day of the week. I know our culture dictates that because I have a toddler, I should love playing with him and playing pretend. But since I don't, I never should have gotten pregnant in the first place. Never mind that playing pretend with a five-year-old gets boring and monotonous since when they like a thing, we get to do it over and over and over again. My son is an only child, a very energetic only child, so without school, he starts the minute I wake up. Mommy, play with me. Mommy, play with me. I need coffee. I need food. I need to write. I need to clean. All the while, he's grabbing my hands, shoving toys in them, pulling my arms, and jumping on my lap. His dad can sit outside for hours listening to podcasts. I can't do 10 minutes of work without being hounded. So I tell him, ask daddy to play. He pouts, kicks around the living room, and then comes uh, right back to me. I drag his father inside. Can you enrich your child, please? However, daddy doesn't do toddler games either. Um, so he gets his 10 to 20 minutes, takes our son for a walk around the neighborhood to supplement and makes dinner. Um, I am not mentally equipped to entertain a small child all day, every day, and motherhood sparked no magical neurotoxins in that regard. I think that's my real confession, but I can't complain in the grand scheme of things. We've gotten our stimulus money. Um, we have a network of family nearby and our landlord has been really cool. Thank you for keeping me well informed and equipped to hold my own as an opinionated female in North Carolina. Stay hot and nasty ladies. Nice. Hey, man, you know what? It's perfectly valid for you to be a mom who doesn't like to play. You are not a bad mother. <laughs> so just keep your kid alive. That's the most important thing. And maybe you made someone feel way less alone for admitting that because I can imagine it's pretty draining of someone who doesn't like to play pretend be expected to do that. So hang in there. He'll be old enough to entertain himself soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Should we do one more or do you want to end it there? I yeah I think we better wrap it up. Sweet. <laughs> it's been a quite a long uh, quite a long thing, mm-hmm. quite a long segment uh, today. But uh, all of them were so quality and so good, and and we'll just keep rolling them over to the next show. We do this five times a week, so yep. I don't think we'll run out. Um, we definitely will not. But <laughs> true. Do you have any final thoughts before we before we hang it up? Um, I don't think so. Uh, if you are in a place where they're you know lifting lockdowns, etc., stay safe, wear a mask. Wash your hands <laughs> um, and hope you're all staying happy and healthy. As do I. And with that, everyone, uh, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. Been Amanda Reader. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reader. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.